Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have a returning guest, uh, Benson Agbortogo. Uh, he's the head of a company called Consistent Profit Tree. Uh, it does consulting with businesses to help them improve and grow and strategize and uh, you know improve the lives of the owner, all the people in the business, its customers, and the business itself. And I've been uh, a customer of his, a personal client of his for several months, and I can attest that uh, he's got some really great advice and he's been uh, incredibly helpful in my journey so far. Uh, so welcome, Benson. We're going to talk about um, some issues of faith today, uh, not necessarily business, but I'm sure they'll tie together. Thank you so much uh, for having me, Rich. I consider this to be a great privilege to be serving a great man like you and uh, to be serving a great audience like yours. Uh, Thank you guys so much for investing the time to listen to uh, what we're going to be talking about. It's our desire that as you pay attention, then your life will be transformed as well. Excellent. Well, you and I were talking offline about what it means to be a, a child of God versus a son of God. And you said that was a big question worthy of a of a podcast. So let's just start with that. Um, you know, probably a lot of people listening have heard those two terms. So what's been your experience with those two and what's the difference? Awesome. There's a big difference between a, a child of God and a son of God. What is the difference? When somebody is born again, as is normally called, that person becomes a child of God. And John chapter 1, verse 12, actually validates that. That verse says, yet, and I'm going to be paraphrasing, so it might not be exact word to word, but you go to the reference, you see it. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So that word, the children, is very, very intentional. So when I heard the good news, when I heard that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for my sins, and he wants to forgive me of my sins so that I can become his child, the first time I heard that message so clear was March of 1990. And on that day, I think it was the 30th of March, on that day, I gave my life to Christ. So I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins. And so I believed in Jesus and and became a child of God. But that is when my journey towards sonship began. And I'm going to go to Jesus here and explain the difference a little bit further. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, It says, to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. So Jesus was born as a child of God, but he was given to us as a son of God. So the simplest way to put it for all of us to understand is, sons are mature children. Okay, that makes sense. So what is the path like to go from uh, child to son? So the path from child to son is really akin to the path of growing from uh, a baby to become an adult who is responsible. Number one, nobody grows from a child to an adult without eating. So eating food is expected every single day. Unfortunately, a lot of people who have given their lives to Christ, who are children of God, stop eating spiritual food. And as a result, their growth is taunted. So they just have years on the calendar, but really they are still spiritual babes. It makes sense. Okay. Because they have not been eating the word of God on a daily basis. 
As a matter of fact, anybody who is born physically and does not eat consistently, at some point they are going to die physically. Because food is expected for growth to take place. So number one, to grow from a child to a son, there has to be consistent eating of the Word of God. That is number one. Number two, there has to be consistent prayer. Rich, I know you have children, and they are actually bigger now, but at some point, you are girls, you couldn't really understand what they were saying. Right. Because when they were born, they were making da 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 daddy, da-da-da-da-da-da, mommy, da-da-da-da-da, and they were just, you know, saying some things. So it was difficult for you to actually have a conversation with them. And whenever they wanted any attention, uh, their default mode was to cry. Right, exactly. So if you want to know if you are still a child instead of a son, irrespective of how long ago you gave your life to Christ, if your default way of communicating with God is crying, you are still a child. So you mean like praying and asking for help and only speaking to God when you're praying and saying, please help me, and otherwise no? Yes, and most of it is complaining. Complaining is like noise all the time. And that is what caused the children of Israel to spend 40 years in the wilderness, a journey that would have taken them 11 days. They kept complaining, kept complaining, they kept complaining. That is why they are generally called the children of Israel, not the sons of Israel. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Huh. They, <laughs> they were just complaining all the time. And children, by nature, are also selfish. So when you give children something and you expect them to share, even with you who give them, you know, they'll put their hand behind them. They don't want to give you anything. They are not willing to share. They see how that selfish nature is always about them. Me, 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 me. So if your Christianity is all about you, me, 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 you are still a child. You are not yet a Okay. That makes sense. So how do you go on this journey from uh, from child to son, you said? So you for me, spiritual uh, day. I gave my life to Christ in 1990, as I just stated. And fortunately for me, the person who led me to Christ told me that, Benson, read the Bible every day. And then when you pray, expect your communication with God to be a dialogue, not a monologue. So those two things I began to do from the time I gave my life to Christ. And then I continued to grow and grow, but I, I didn't really know anything about becoming a son until I really hit an impasse in 2006. So 2006 is a year I just uh, I, I graduated from college. I obviously went to college late. So when I graduated from college, I was really confused because what? a lot of people who knew me before I went to college knew me as a pastor. Now, I went to college and I studied business as the Lord directed me. Hmm. So when I came out of college, I was like, man, what is my purpose? Is it a pastor or a business person? And so I was going through this crisis. And I decided to really go seek the Lord to get answers. And as I was asking the Lord about what is my purpose? Have I missed my purpose? Am I supposed to go back to church and pastor now that I'm done with business school? Oh, should I go into business? You know, but you know, how, how am I to be a pastor and a business? It's kind of confusing. <laughs> the Holy Spirit said, Benson, when you were a pastor, you were fulfilling your purpose. Now that you have studied business and you are going into business, you are still going to be fulfilling your purpose. Your purpose is permanent, but your mission is temporal. Oh, interesting. Okay. He said when you were pastoring, you were fulfilling your purpose with a different audience. Now that you graduated from business school, I am sending you to a different audience, but you are still going to be fulfilling your purpose. Was that a relief to you? Or was that Big relief? So I asked the Holy Spirit, what then is my purpose? He said, my 
your purpose is exactly the same as my purpose because a goat gives birth to a goat. A horse gives birth to a horse. A lion gives birth to a lion. So the Holy Spirit explained to me that his purpose and my purpose are the same. And that is what makes me his son. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. You're in the family business, I guess. Exactly. So I said, what is my purpose there? He said, son, your purpose is to love people. Your purpose is to love God. And that is why the Bible says in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see how love and sonship is connected? I see that, but um, when when Holy Spirit said your purpose is to love God and to uh, to help people, I mean, to love God and to love people, love people, yeah. But that you know that, that gives me pictures of someone sitting around, you know, hearts coming out of their head and you know little hearts floating above them, and they're just loving, 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 and they're not doing anything. How do you? How is that a purpose? Maybe it sounds stupid to say it, but how is loving God and uh, loving people a purpose? Many people will picture love as just sitting there and uh, some uh, emojis coming out of your head are defining love in the wrong way. Uh, the true definition of love is the consistent investment of time to deliver value. Okay, okay. So love is the consistent investment of time to deliver value. So... Uh, when God says, I shall love him and I shall love people, it means that he expects me to invest time with him. So the time I'm investing in reading the word of God, the time I'm investing in prayer, which is really conversation with God, I am loving God. Mm, okay. And the time that I'm investing in solving problems for people in the marketplace, delivering value, I am serving those people, but my motive for serving them is because I love them, not because I want them to pay me. The payment is a byproduct. So how have you seen uh, people have responded to this intention, to this way of, uh, of working with them? It's irresistible because the Bible says there are only two gods and you cannot, you cannot serve two of them. He said, the first God is God, love and the other god is called mammon money he said you cannot serve god and serve mammon that is why in first corinthians chapter 13 it says even if you offer yourself to be burnt as a sacrifice if you don't love it profits nothing he said even if you have faith that can move mountains if love is not a motive it profits nothing so there are many people in church who are doing activities, but those activities are not motivated by love. Those people are still children. They are not yet sons. Do you feel like you've uh, gone back and forth between son and child in God's eyes or in your experience or in your feeling? Or what's the journey been like? In my feeling, yes. That feeling of back and forth has been there until I really began to pay attention to time. I wouldn't claim to have gotten everything 100% perfect. But every day, my desire is to grow more and more. Because for everything I want to do, since I already have a calendar, I just need to ask myself a question. Why am I doing this? For example, we are doing this podcast right now. Why am I doing this podcast? I love God because God wants me to help his children to become sons. So I'm providing a service for God. And the people who are listening, I love them. Because I want them to really operate in love 
Otherwise, their lives are not going to be meaningful. That is why a lot you have a lot of miserable people in cubicle. And then you also have a lot of miserable entrepreneurs because the thing that they are doing, they are not deriving the full meaning from it because they are motivated by fear instead of love. I guarantee there are so many entrepreneurs I've met who are motivated by the fear of, oh, if I don't market, I'm not going to have clients and therefore I'm not going to have money to pay my bills. And so they market mostly towards the end of the month to be able to meet their quota. There are a lot of salespeople who are like that. But somebody who is motivated by love, that person is going to get up every single day and say, you know what, I need to reach more people because I love people. And I don't want them to wallow in their problem longer than, than is needed. So I'm going to do everything I can to reach the number of people I need. Mm. So that has been the difference in you know, going from a child to a son. You know, and, and there are days when I'm doing something and boy, I just notice that, you know, that fear is coming in and I, and I stop and I say, hey, Benson, there is no fear in love. Perfect love has out fear, First John 4, 18. And so I really have to now recheck myself to make sure that I am not uh, operating as a child. And truly, truly, there are days when I have also been lean, I've leaned towards complaining uh, instead of being thankful. But Rich, when I go back and examine those days, a hundred percent of those days or a hundred percent of those times is when I failed to eat adequately in the morning, when I failed to read the word of God, when I failed to communicate, to commune with my father because I was busy and I excused the fact that I didn't have time and I just went doing what I was supposed to do during the course of the day. What was the fear that you would have at times? What did that feel like and what was the fear saying to you? For example, uh, there was a time in my business when I was really afraid of competition. So I had a fear that competition would take the clients away and then I would not, I would not have enough you know, to continue growing the business. So as a result, I started hating the competition. So I started seeing the competition as an enemy. So I realized that that fear began to generate a scarcity mindset. And so one day I just sat by, I'm like, wait a minute, how many thousands of businesses are in just in the DFW area? Boy, there's no way we can serve all of them. So other consultants are needed mm. for us to serve these people. And there's something unique about what we do that other consultants cannot do. So my differentiation is already there. What differentiation is already there. So there's no need to hate these people. So instead of trying to compete with them, I should look for ways to complement with them. <laughs> Mindset shift. And instead of being driven and motivated by fear towards those people, I now really began to love them and look for ways that I can actually help them. Have you worked then with other business consultants to, um, you know, so to work together to help somebody or like what's been your interaction? Then? What's your change? My, my, my interaction is when a business uh, consultant, most of them consider themselves to be, they use the word coach, you know, as well, come across my path. In fact, there's one that we are collaborating right now. We sat down. It's more than a year since we started working together. We sat down and looked at what he was doing and what I was doing. And I said, no, you are really good in this area. And I'm really good in this area. So if we bring the two together, we are actually going to serve people better. Uh, and there's a client right now that we started serving together since May of this year. And that client used to be uh, just our client. We were working with them for over five years. But when, I, when we partnered with this other consulting uh, company to bring in elements that they were really good at so that we provide a better service for this client, since May we have been doing that together, and I can see a significant difference in that company as a result of us joining forces. So that'll be a prime example. Okay. So what else? I mean, I'm not diminishing the fact that, you know, you need to eat spiritually every day to become a, 
a son of God instead of a child of God. But, you know, say more about that journey. What is involved? I know it's different for everybody. How long does it take? What are some of the difficulties along the path? You know, what, what else can you say about it? So in addition to eating and uh, conversing, which is really the basics, so that's reading the Word of God and prayer, you want to find out what is unique about you. Because it's your uniqueness that is going to give you the confidence to provide, to serve people without feeling jealous of the other person's gift. So you want to find out what is it that you are really good at. And for me, that, that was... That was quite a journey, you know. Um, there were there were many things that I knew that I was good at, but uh, over time, as I was serving people, I discovered that there were areas where I was really better compared to other areas, and it is really those areas where I didn't have to use a lot of efforts to provide value. So those areas really became. An eye-opener in terms of, wow, I can really help people in this area. One of them, which you, Rich, you've encouraged me a lot, you know, to uh, even amplify that, is in the area of uh, prayer, just the ability to communicate with God. That's something I noticed that, man, okay, um, I get a lot of uh, compliments from people about this. Uh, I think I should really capitalize on it and really help people. In this area, especially the fact that a lot of people find it difficult to hear God's voice or to communicate with God. So that became an area that I am still working on and improving and becoming better and better. Another area of gifting that I discovered is in the area of, you know, time investment, which has to do with your systems in companies. Because I sat down and I noticed that a lot of people waste time. Others spend time. Others try to manage their time. But very few people in my observation had the mindset of approaching time as an investment. And that's something that I became good at doing. So when I'm approaching the subject of time, I'm not approaching it from time management, but I'm approaching it as from a perspective of time investment. Can you say more about that? So you said some people waste time, some people try to manage time. Like what, what are the different, what are some examples of how you see people deal with time? So anybody who doesn't use a calendar, guarantee they are wasting time because they have no clue as to where their time is going, which is why probably 60 to 70% of people, if you were to ask them how, what they did with their 24 hours yesterday, they have no clue. Yeah. These are people who just wake up and they are just reacting as things are happening. They don't have okay. any kind of plan. And unfortunately, that happens even in business as well, where people come into their business, uh, they will spend, they will waste time trying to arrange their table, and then they will say, oh, it's already lunchtime, let me go and grab some lunch and eat. And then they'll come back, instead of reaching out uh, to clients to help them, you know, take that, they'll say, oh, I'm not going to make phone calls in the afternoon, everybody's busy. They're giving all these excuses. And before you know it, the day is over, they say, oh, I'm tired. You know, tomorrow I'm going to kill it. Tomorrow I'm going to kill it. I've heard that before. Yep. Yeah. Then they come back the following day, the same story happens, you know. So those people are wasting time a lot. And then people who are spending time are people who try to manage time, but they are really spending time. What I mean by that is that they hardly evaluate an activity to think about the return on investment on that activity before doing that activity. So they will just try to manage a long to-do list. Okay, I got 20 things I need to do today. Uh, one is done, two is done, three is done, four is done, five is done. And unfortunately, at times, they'll get to maybe 10 and the other 10 is not done that day because they are trying to manage their time. And then they'll mm -hmm. go home feeling guilty that they had a long to-do list and they didn't finish it. You know, then tomorrow they'll pile another one again on it. And that circle just continues. But a time investor says, what is the result I want to accomplish? And those results are clearly defined. So in business, it'll be, 
what profit do I want to generate in the next 12 months? The way you're talking about time, it feels like a like a product, like a, a thing that literally you can manipulate and shape and form into useful things for yourself. It's like, um, it's also like a fuel too, that you put into a, a machine to run. It's weird. I don't know why I'm getting the pictures in my mind as you talk. It is. It is because you are the only person who has full control over your time. It is because a lot of people have the mindset that they don't have control over their time. That is why they entertain distraction. They entertain mm. all kinds of things. And so by the end of the day, they feel, oh, what else could I do? But if you, as a son of God, say, you know what? God gave me a free will. And even God himself cannot force me against my will. So I am fully responsible for my decisions. Mm. So as a son of God, I am fully responsible to what is happening to my time. Now, when you take ownership, it really becomes full. But when you say, oh, what can we do? You get up and you can show up to work and you never know what is going to happen. This one will walk you there and walk you there. Then now you are really bickering as a child, you know? (laughs) Now now you are sounding like a victim. Because okay. you believe that circumstances control your time instead of you controlling your time. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Nobody wants me to be on this call, on this podcast right now. I decided, I know you prompted with your questions and I say, you know what? I am going to do this podcast. But if I decided not to do it, I would have been doing something else right now. What does it look like to uh, start to really gain control over your time? It's really starting with the mindset of an investor. Nobody goes into stock market and say, you know what? That stock looks good. I'm just going to throw, you know, 5,000 there, you know. If I get a return, good. If not, eh, it's just 5,000. Nobody does that. Every good investor, before they invest in a stock, they look at the stock. They say, okay, this stock is a good stock. Therefore, if I invest 5,000, it's just an example, Right. At some point down the road, I'm going to get 5500 or 6000 I'm going to get a good return on investment on my money. Nobody says, you know what, I'm going to invest here. I know I'm going to lose this money, but I'm going to invest it anyway. Yeah, that's true. So to start getting control over your time, which is a sign of maturity as a son, because as a child, they do everything for you. You don't really, you know, they feed you. It's time for them. They bring, they bring a, you know, the feeding bottle and they put it in your mouth when you cry. You know, then when you pee-pee and poop, they change your diaper. So, so right. your parents really control your time. But when you become mature, you are supposed to control your time, not your parents anymore. Mm. So when you become a son, now you have control over your time. You are expected to be responsible and take ownership of your time. So you want to start with returns. So I was giving an example in business. Nobody starts a business and say, you know what? I want to have a business that will lose a lot of money. Yeah. Nobody does that. Every person who is getting into business, they want to run a profitable business. But it baffles me that most of the time when I talk with entrepreneurs, before they really become fired, they are always talking about all these revenue numbers, which are good, or that numbers, which are good, mm. but they leave profit as a last thing. I'm like, this is backwards. That mm. is why I don't even like the term profit and loss statement. I call mine profit and profit statements. Because oh, when you say profit and loss, it means that you're opening the chance to, uh, there's some time I'm going to lose money and there's some times I'm going to, no, no, no. But when you go with an investment mindset, you start with profit. Okay, what would a profit look like in this period of time? And then you begin to reverse it in the end. Okay, for me to achieve this profit, these are the activities that I'm going to be doing in the business And there's no activity you're going to do in business that will not involve time. So you start with the results, then you select the events or activities that will help you to achieve those results, and then you decide how much time you are now going to invest in those activities. So the end 
is already in the beginning. That's really interesting. To, you know, every day with, I mean, a lot of people pay lip service to it. Everyone has 24 hours in the day and invest your time wisely, but you're giving a um, more of a concrete step-by-step plan on how to do it. What's an example of how someone that has not planned before, has not looked at their time before in this way, how can they take the first few steps to literally see their time as an investment and to actually do it, to sit down? Like, what do they do? They do? I would just say that first step as a son is to really start with a result or a goal that you want to achieve. So instead of even doing it for a whole day, you could say in the next one hour, what is a measurable result I really want to achieve? So it could be, okay, you want to reach out to, you know, two people and develop a relationship within business. That's a measurable result. So now you know, okay, if I'm going to reach out to two people in the next one hour, so on average, I'm going to invest about 30 minutes with each of those people. Then you now reach out to two people. And at the end of the hour, you say, hmm, did I really, did I reach out to two people? Yes. Did I develop a relationship with them? Yes. And the way you know if you develop a relationship is if you, if you added value when you spoke to those people. Mm. Because value is what grows relationship. Okay. If you just go and chit-chat and complain about how the economy is bad and how, you know, all the stuff is happening, then you leave that call, both of you are more depressed than when the call started. Then a lot of that, yeah. You just wasted time. You didn't invest that time. Because remember the definition of love, the consistent investment of time to add value. Why do some people become arrogant with their time? You know, oh, my time is valuable and you're wasting my time and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, not everybody, but I've seen some people with that attitude. Like, where does that come from? And I think it comes from a self-serving attitude. Because even if I value my time, the way I communicate that to you, the manner in which I communicate that to another person is totally different from when I say, oh, don't waste my time. My time is very valuable. In fact, when I communicate the value of time to people, I will say, hey, Rich, let me use you for example, since I'm talking to you right now, I know the audience listening. Rich, I really respect your time. And instead of us playing phone tag, you call me and you don't get me and I call you, I don't get you. And by the end of the day, we have wasted over, you know, five to 10 minutes just trying to play phone tag. We just set an appointment to talk. That way, when we both agree on a time, we are going to be there and I'm not going to waste your time with phone tag and you're not going to waste mine. Time is valuable, but I have also brought to your consciousness that your time is valuable as well. So instead of just doing random phone calls and leaving phone tags and asking people to call you at any time they want, and you guys waste a lot of time because you are calling each other and not getting each other, why not just set an appointment? That makes sense, yeah. So that will be an example of anybody who wants to start it today, whether they want to do it in their business or they want to do it at home with their children, is to say, you know what, I'm going home this evening and I'm going to invest 30 minutes with my child. I'm going to invest 30 minutes with my wife, my spouse. You want to be very intentional. You want to say, you know what? I'm going to invest 30 minutes with my spouse after work today because I haven't done it for a long period of time. My goal is I really want to make my wife feel listened to. So when I get home today, I'm going to ask her about her day and I'm going to shut up. And so you provide that value of listening. So at the end of the 30 minutes or the one hour, you evaluate yourself and say, did I really listen to my wife? And you will know because if you didn't allow her to talk, but you kept jumping in to talk when she was talking, then you didn't really listen. But yeah, if, I've been told that before because I go into problem solving mode. Exactly. But if you just listen to her, no matter what she's saying, you are not tempted to jump into Mr. Problem Solving. Then at the end of the day, I tell you, she will feel listened to because at times they just want to vent, right. you know, and giving them that listening ear is really value. The same thing if you want to invest time with your child, don't sit there with your child and they're there physically, but but mentally bickering around with your two fingers on your phone and then the child is sitting there and staring at you, that is not an investment of time. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to invest the next one hour with my child and I'm going to teach this child something they, they do not yet know, man, that is investment. It's measurable. You, you help them to achieve something that they have not achieved before. So anybody in 
any area of life can become a time investor starting today. It's just defining a measurable result and then deciding how much time you want to invest. And then at the end of that period to really see if you were able to achieve those results, just like an investor will invest in a stock. And after a period of maybe a year or two, they look at their return. But in this case, we are talking about time. So you don't have to wait one year or two years or even one week or one day. You can start with 80 minutes, one hour. And then if when you are investing that time, you interrupted, distracted, then you want to just make sure that you exercise that self-control as a son because sons have self-control. Children do not. So you exercise that self-control by saying no to the distraction. So you are not there talking with your child or with your spouse and your phone rings and you say, honey, can you just give me a minute? Let me take this. Yeah, the sons have self-control. Children do not. Children complain about darkness. Sons shine in darkness because sons are the light of the world. Children complain about the economy. Sons add value to transform the economy because they are the salt of the earth. Thanks to you. The Bible is your guide how to grow up spiritually Absolutely. to do what you're supposed to do. Absolutely. And I'm giving again some differences between a child and a son because the Bible says we are the light of the world. So when things are not going the way they are supposed to be going, children complain about the darkness. Sons turn on the switch because they know that when light shines, darkness disappears. Does anyone preach in this way? I don't know if anyone does with uh, what to do. It, it seems like, um, yeah, this is absent from, of course, I can't know every pastor, but it just seems like this would be absent from most teaching. It is. And that is why I'm stepping up to do it right now, because I looked around and I discovered that, you know, there's hardly any pulpit that does this. So I'm using the platform that I am on right now, you know, to teach this. Eventually, I'll write books about it because I really want people to grow up from children to sons because there's no day that goes by that I don't hear a mature person by age really exhibiting childishness. As I said, you know, why complain about darkness when you are the light? I've never seen light complain against darkness. But yet you see so many children of God complaining, oh, America is dark. America is going the wrong way. I'm like, dark. Ah, you are the light. Speak light. Change it. Use your mouth to change the direction. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Sons are thermostats. Children are them thermometers. The economy, inflation is going the wrong way. No, add value and transform the economy. You are the salt of the earth. Salt adds value. They make things taste better. Preserve. God is counting on you as a son to add value, to preserve. Don't remain in the container as a salt shaker. Spread yourself. How many people say, you know, God is all-powerful? can I do? He should do it. Why do I have to do it? That is a language of children because when you are a child, your father does everything for you. When you become a son, you are expected to do things for yourself because that's what sons do. That's why Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance to young children, those children are not much better of than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father has. So you have people who are saying, yeah, God is going to do everything. No, the Bible says the heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth unto the sons of men. That is why in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, have dominion. Why would God do something for me that he has given me the ability to do it? Okay. I mean, Rich, you have daughters. Do you still change any of your daughter's diapers? No, been many, that, many years. That would be ridiculous because you expect them now as matured to do it for themselves. Can you imagine you taking a teaspoon now and you're trying to feed one of your daughters? They'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah, they say, get away from me. Not a baby. I can eat for myself. So all these people who are mimicking around in their diaper saying God is going to do it, God is going to do it. They are children. That's children language. Sons say, you know what? God has given me authority. I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. And this thing is happening in my environment. Or this thing is happening in my country. 
It's not supposed to be so. I am going to take responsibility and change it. Okay. Changing it, God is not backing you up. That's what the Bible says, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Demolishing arguments and taking everything that exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ, captive, obedient unto Christ. Why am I in business? Why did God put me in business? To change the economy, not just of my industry, but of the nation where I'm currently living. And then I'm planning to go back to Africa and change the entire continent because it's only a dark continent because of ignorance. The light there is not shining the way it's supposed to shine. And that's why it's called the dark continent. Remember there was a time Europe was called the dark ages? Yep. Exactly. Why? Because darkness is synonymous to ignorance. So That's where there's good. ignorance, you bring knowledge. You don't come there and complain with the ignorant people. Of course, if you don't have the knowledge, then you complain like the ignorant people too. It means both of you. As the Bible says, the blind leads the blind. Both of them are going to fall in a pit. Yeah, makes sense. Yes, sons have vision. They have sight. Children have eyes, but they don't see. They don't have vision. When does the, I guess to the impatient, when does the reward come? What does the reward look like once you start doing this? Immediately. You see, many people only think of reward at the end when everything has happened. Rich, when I set a goal and say, for example, I want to generate a profit of 1.2 million, I don't wait to the end of the year to start celebrating. When I generate $1, I celebrate because the progress has already started. But a lot of people want to wait until the end of the year. So throughout the year, their year is miserable because they are looking only at the end, but they are not. They have not developed the mindset of celebrating the process or celebrating progress. So a lot of people are so miserable until something they're expecting comes into full maturity. No, a woman doesn't get excited about pregnancy the day the child is born. They get excited when they they discover they have missed their period. And then when they see the ultrasound, oh my God, look at the heartbeat. Oh my goodness. And then a couple of weeks later, they're able to find out the sex. Oh, it's they enjoy the process. They don't wait miserably for nine months. But that is how a lot of people, when they start a journey, they want to reach like a big milestone before they think that they have made progress. That's why I said, you know, when you start a journey, you start celebrating. The next one hour, the next uh, 30 minutes, you achieve a little result, you celebrate. And that's how you gain momentum. Then you achieve another one, you celebrate. And then you celebrate. You celebrate. That is why even before Jesus did a single thing, the father already said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay. You see that? So even before Jesus performed any miracle, did anything, the father from the very beginning said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he started celebrating right from the very beginning. Okay. And then gaining momentum day by day or hour by hour. Instead of feeling miserable when things are not turning. Can you imagine a farmer who plants a seed and the farmer is so miserable throughout until the farmer sees a fruit? No, if a good farmer, when they plant a seed, they start celebrating because they know that that seed is now in the ground and it's going to die. And then once the seed dies, it germinates and it brings out that little shoot. The shoot is not the, the fruit, but it's a process towards the fruit. So they celebrate and they make sure that they cultivate that area to make sure that wheat is not growing to choke that plant. And they take good care of that plant. Then eventually... The fruit comes out and then they harvest the fruits. But throughout that process, they took good care of the plant. But a lot of people just go and toss their seed carelessly and never pay attention to it. And they wonder why they never get any harvest. Because the harvest grows up and rotten's in a bush. Or the seed grows and then wheat chokes it up. And because they are not taking care of it, because they are only looking at the fruit, they miss it. Okay. And year by year, they are still waiting for that fruit. How many people do you know that they say, you know what, next year I'm going to start doing this. Then that year comes and pass. Then they see a shortcut or a bright, shiny object. They say, you know what, I'm just going to do this shortcut and get it this time around. Then they do the shortcut. Then another year goes by, no results, the shortcut. Instead of 
I mean, all the people have been looking for shortcuts for the last three years, if they were just to focus and just develop one thing for that one year, they'll be far ahead. But now they are still looking for shortcuts. Do you teach people to celebrate as they're embarking upon the path to get, you know, to accomplish a goal in, in every certain step? Absolutely. That's why I encourage everybody I work with to keep a Thanksgiving journal because uh, at the end of the day, even if you wrote just one thing that you are thankful for, that is a celebration. Then as you are working with your team, at the end of the week or at the end of the month, celebrate the progress you guys have made. You know, don't wait until the end of the year, you know, to celebrate. At the end of the year, you can do a big party, but celebrate every day. You know, you made a phone call and you were able to get one lawyer. I know you serve lawyers, Rich. You made a phone call and you were able to get a, a lawyer and you talked to that lawyer and you set an appointment. Boy, after that, take one minute to celebrate. You make the next phone call. You didn't get a lawyer. You, you left a voicemail. Take a meeting and say, thank God. I, I still got a voicemail and I left a voicemail and I'm looking forward to talking to this lawyer eventually so you just you make your environment to be an enjoyable environment because the joy of the lord is our strength and so if you make your life to be a celebratory life then you are always full of energy because of the joy that is around you instead of when things do not go the way you expected your life you complain and drop down and then you're waiting for somebody to come and pick you up. And then, you know, the ability to even make that next phone call is not there because you are like, oh my goodness, I keep hearing no's, I keep hearing no's. But if you say, you know what, every no I hear, I'm getting closer to a yes. Boy, that's a good attitude. <laughs> yeah, no, true. It just keep on. So I train people to do that because that's what sons do. You know, sons celebrate. What, what are the benefits of, of sonship that you've experienced or you've seen people experience? The benefits of sonship that I've experienced is that I have fully understood that God has given me authority. And so I am responsible for what is happening to me. So instead of blaming the good things on God and blaming the bad things on the devil, I am responsible. Because the devil cannot force me to make a decision. Neither can God force me to make a decision. So make decisions. But because I study the Bible and make decisions as prescribed by my father. Just as Jesus said, I only do that which I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. So I know that if my decisions are in alignment with the decisions of my father, boy, I'm enjoying sonship and I'm having dominion. I'm not a victim of my environment. So as I said, I'm a thermostat. If the environment is not the way I expect it to, I turn up the dial or I turn down the dial. If I sense evil around me, I exercise my sonship and I cast out the demons around so that my environment is free of them. I don't behave as a victim. Oh my goodness, these demons, they are oppressing me. Sons don't speak like that because they know who they are. It's like light complaining. My goodness. The darkness is so dark. You are ignorant light. Just shine and the darkness will go away. I mean, I don't know. Do you think some people that, you know, even if they take responsibility for themselves, if, if bad things happen and keep happening, I guess, you know, have you seen people give up and say, this is not working? That's it. And they throw in the towel. Yeah. And when they throw in the towel, that's what, that's a decision too. Yeah. So sons don't throw in the towel. Children do. I mean, have there been times though, where you're trying to act like a son, but just things are just so difficult that uh, you feel like you can't, it's just not working or you can't bear it. That is when you ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember that Jesus, when he was living, said, you know, there are many things I want to guide you people and teach you, but you are not able to receive it right now. But as I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's your helper. So the first introduction of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 26, is a helper. So during that time, and I do it several times during the day, Holy Spirit, I need your help. So sons ask for help. Children try to do it by themselves when they are not capable. And it's pride that usually stops a lot of people from asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. Instead of God help, they want to do self-help. They should be able to help themselves, and it's a weakness to ask for Holy Spirit's help or God's help. Does anyone feel like that? That is what a lot of people feel, you know, at, at times, and so they hesitate to ask for that help. But, you know, yes, there are things that the Holy Spirit will not do for you. For example, the Holy Spirit is not going to make phone calls for you, but the Holy Spirit can help you to touch the minds of people who are supposed to do business with you so that when you're talking to them, they are able to understand that they need your product or your service. But you are responsible in making that phone call. The Holy Spirit is not going to comb your hair for you, you know, for you to look good. You're going to comb your hair. 
And when you comb your hair, you know, obviously the God gave you hair, so it should look good. So it's really a partnership, but a lot of children try to do it alone versus sons do it as a partnership. Has anyone created a book or a guide, you know, the path from becoming a child of God to a son of God? Not, not that I know of. And everything that I'm sharing with you now in the audience, this is really the first time ever I've shared the stuff I'm sharing. Like, so When's your book coming out? I want to give you the credit for prompting me to do that with your questions, uh, Rich. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so I'm going to, instead of answering that question hastily, I am going to look at the books that are in front of this one, and then I'm going to schedule this one you know, accordingly. But suffice to say, every year, starting in 2024, I'm going to publish at least one book. So this one about from a child to a son is really, really important. So I don't see any reason why I will wait beyond 2025 to publish it. It's a totally different message from just fearing God or, you know, like some some sects of Christianity say, oh, you know, you better fear him. And it's all about, you know, repenting, I guess, like Catholicism and you know, you're flawed, you're, you need to confess. It's like, instead of being a son with rewards and rights and responsibilities, it's just like the condemnation. It's a, it's a punishment. I'm sure there's no way to live either. I hear you. So Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of life has set them free from the law of death. Condemnation doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy because he is called the accuser of the brethren. So God wants you to see him as a father. He wants you to relax and relate with him as a son. I mean, how would you feel if your children were really afraid of you, terrified? Yeah, they would feel terrible, yeah, I mean, no good father wants to do that. So unfortunately, many people have painted a picture of God as a fearful God, a fearful father, which is why the understanding of sonship just puts it in a completely different perspective. And, you know, I'll wrap up by saying First John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts away fear. Fear comes with punishment. Love doesn't come with Punishment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love or is not mature in love. Well, very good, Vincent. You know, to close up, can you let people know again about consistent profitry and if um, you know if they're motivated to reach out to you, where can they go to find out more? Start engaging with you. I uh, say so consistentprofittree.com is the website. But one of the books you're talking about, Rich, one of the books I have already read. It's already published. You can actually go to consistentprofittree.com forward slash ebook. You have it in the podcast notes. You can go there and download the entire electronic version of the business system that never fails. And the entire book focuses on the subject of love because love never fails. First Corinthians 13. Excellent. Well, Benson, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. And I hope to have you back again as well for more wisdom. So thank you. Thank you so much, Rich, for inviting me and thank the audience for listening to us until the end. I know you are out there serving people. I'm here serving people. We are open to serve in the areas that God has called us to serve as son. God bless you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.